Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Dan Abdenor, co-founder and CEO of Fritz AI, where NextGen Venture Partners is an investor. Uh, Fritz has created a platform that makes it easy for mobile developers to create applications that leverage machine learning. Over time, Fritz plans to move from not just supporting iOS and Android, but also to the full Internet of Things. This conversation dives into how Fritz helps developers, the kinds of applications Fritz enables, and where the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence is going. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Dan. And without further ado, here it is. Dan, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Let's start from the beginning. Where did the idea for Fritz come from? Well, uh, my co-founder and I worked together at this company called Jana Mobile. And while we were there, we had a, a bit of a fraud problem. So the business model there was an incentivized advertising, which means that if you are paying out uh, people to try something and your advertisers aren't giving you the money back, you end up with a, with a lighting money on problem fire, <laughs> to put it colloquially. So fraud was a major concern. And uh, it turned out that we had all of the data we needed on device to model fraud and fraudulent users. Uh, but the hard part was really building and deploying what was then a pretty sophisticated machine learning algorithm down to edge devices. So, you know, looking at a mobile ecosystem, uh, we realized that was the dominant, you know, form of computing was mobile. And we looked at data science, which really was the future of computing. And we realized those two things weren't very much aligned. So uh, when Jameis and I eventually left, we wanted to start working on that idea. And we wanted to make it easier for the mobile developers of the world to leverage uh, machine learning and AI and build the most powerful applications out on the edge devices where everybody is. And what was the problem? Why couldn't people do that at that point? Well, you know, the, the history of these two platforms is pretty separate. You know, mobile developers tend to get pretty uh, high level APIs, things that are easy to use, UI kits, and data scientists tend to get uh, formulas and algorithms. And those two things are pretty far apart when it comes to, to usage. So asking a mobile developer to uh, figure out what layers of a neural network they need to construct in order to solve their problem was really just too much of an ask. It, it was unreasonable. And yet there are, you know, 6 billion mobile devices out there. And, and a, lot of our, a lot of our lives are occupied with those applications every day. So uh, we really wanted to democratize it. We thought if we aimed at the mobile developer, but brought that data science tool to a high enough level for them to use, that there'd be a really thriving market there. Uh, and then it would extend beyond just mobile devices, where really, once we learned how to move uh, data science problems out to edge devices, we could put them on anything, anything from you know televisions to cars to you know uh, little flying drones someday. And if you were to put the sophistication level of mobile developers on a spectrum, where do they have to be in order to take advantage of what you're offering? So we've found that any developer using the uh, languages that, that are common in mobile development, so Java and Kotlin and Swift and Objective-C, uh, have the, the necessary skill to integrate our SDK. The actual machine learning components, so collecting data sets, uh, training models, and deploying them down to your devices, all of that stuff is taken care of by Fritz, and a lot of it's driven through the web application. So it's actually really easy to uh, do the machine learning part as long as you have the hands-on skill to put our SDK inside the application. So uh, it has not required a super advanced, super sophisticated uh, user thus far. On your website at the top, it says, teach your mobile app to see, to hear, and to sense. What do you mean by that? 
So when we think about machine learning or AI, we think about what people are going to do with it. But there's some pretty interesting user experiences. So it could be teaching a fitness application how to see, or it could be teaching uh, an insurance application how to sense when you're braking hard in the car. Uh, those are both cases where you are teaching software to recognize a pattern or recognize a situation. And uh, the number of situations, uh, we, they're innumerable. We can't come up with all of them. You know, we want our uh, our audience to build whatever whatever is on their mind, whatever their dream is, and to be able to do it, whether it's you know sight or sound or motion or um, or, or any other kind of of data, and have a machine learning model that works with it. So you gave two examples right there with regard to you know physical fitness, with regard to driving. Paint a, a little bit more of a picture for folks who might not be intuitive what you can do by bringing machine learning to the edge. What are some other applications that you're excited about, whether for your existing users or that you expect in the future? Yeah, so you know the, the, the way that we start to think about the edge is really through the benefits it brings. So it allows you to have essentially unrestricted compute uh, that is cost effective, which means you can process things fast and in real time. You can process video and audio. Uh, you can do it locally, which means you can do it privately, which means you can do it even without connectivity. And those are all incredibly valuable and things that are not true when you're talking about a cloud deployed solution. If you wanted to uh, process a, a video being recorded live and in real time, you can't bounce that to a server and back and actually get any kind of, of reasonable response. The latency is too long, the compute is too long. So we really have unlocked by running the machine learning models on device, we've unlocked use cases that just are impossible in any other way. You know. Uh, one sort of uh, example we like to give is, you know, a self-driving car type of situation. You really don't want your car to be requiring an internet connection to not crash. <laughs> You're going to have a bad time. So for everything to run locally and on device where those sensors are, that is the way that you unlock these types of opportunities. So our customers are, you know, largely looking at computer vision, but they span everything from, um, from you know, retail and retail analytics to skincare assessments and telemedicine to uh, just photo editing and video editing and, and creating fun uh, and quirky you know, filters. Uh, those, those things are all powered by machine learning models. And because they all run on device, they're actually deployable to anywhere in the world. They can run offline, they can run privately. Uh, you can use them with any kind of user and you don't have to be concerned about PII or anything like that. So there's a lot of really good reasons and a lot of um, capabilities that we support. As we speak, it's April 1st, 2020. The U.S. is locked down because of COVID-19. Any applications that you've seen, any use cases related to this outbreak? Yeah, so I got off the phone with a, a user yesterday who's trying to build a social distancing app. So uh, one of the uh, types of models that we support is a pose estimation model, which means that you can actually find humans in the video frame. So you can you know, point a camera and and, and get the key points for where people are standing. And they want to use that in order to measure, you know, six feet distance around people or two meters in their case, because they're in Europe. Um, you know, not, not something I would have expected uh, even a month ago, but now, now that is the reality. And paint the picture for us of how many users or apps you have today. Yeah, so uh, all time, we've had over 50 million devices that have uh, run the Fritz AI software in one form or another. So we do not control those end user applications, right? So you know, we're a developer tool, and we want to allow our uh, app developers who are our customers to build whatever they want. Since we have a free tier, we actually you know, have a lot of uses that's both across free and paid devices. Uh, and all time, you know, there's been hundreds of applications and tens of millions of devices that have, that have used the SDK. 
you're currently focused on mobile devices. You mentioned earlier on that this could be in drones one day. What do you think are the other big markets that you'll be operating in right after mobile devices? Well, there's a couple of different ways to think about this. So one area is product platform expansion. And uh, at the very earliest stage of this company, we only focused on iOS. So we developed uh, an SDK and a training system that worked with Apple phones, Apple operating systems, Apple compiled models. And we then later expanded onto Android, which allowed us to open up new programming languages and new types of models. That was the same pattern that we can follow to expand an additional platform. So, you know, things that are really attractive to us in terms of uh, breadth-wise expansion are the Raspberry Pi, the Google Coral, the NVIDIA Jetson. Those are all dev boards, which are, are you know, really powering the next generation of IoT devices. Uh, and then we also look at other kinds of incumbent e- ecosystems. So, you know, uh, phones have operating systems, or sorry, uh, televisions have operating systems like Tizen. Um, Mac has Mac OS with uh, machine learning that can run locally. Windows has WinML, which can run locally. So there's a lot of, of device types that we look, look for and look at as uh, platform expansion opportunities. And, you know, exactly how we sequence those uh, is still uh, in discussion, but we are certainly looking past mobile as an expansion. Was there a particular breakthrough or insight that you had after you decided, hey, there's an interesting problem to tackle? Is there an approach you've taken that makes Fritz better than any potential competitor? Well, in the earliest days, it was really about us uh, taking a leap of faith with an understanding where we thought the market was going to go. When Jameson and I started the company in early 2017, there was no iPhone 10, there was no Core ML, uh, there was no neural processing unit in your pocket. And uh, we really thought that was going to be true. You know, we believed that we were going to have the computing power to run these types of real, uh, real-time real live neural networks right on your iPhone or Android phone or tablet or what have you. Um, but none of that stuff existed when we first started started. So, you know, we really uh, grew with this industry. We started to get access to, um, you know, new types of neural network structures. We started to get the hardware acceleration from the, the chipset manufacturers. And it has been a confluence of those events that has really made this possible. So, you know, we had to, um, we had to have the vision, but we also had to be here at the right time. So fortunately, we were. And, you know, so far, we've seen pretty exceptional growth where a couple years ago, uh, you were not able to run any kind of meaningful, you know, neural network operation locally on the phone. Now you can process something like six tera ops uh, with with the latest iPhone processors. So uh, it's come a long way. And we're really happy to say that we, you know, jumped out ahead of it. What are the implications of 5G for you? Well, the way that we think about 5G uh, is that it's essentially, you know, a, a bandwidth increaser. So it's, uh, I think, as, as Benedict from A16Z used to say, it's one better. You know, it's not, it's not actually a tide uh, change. It is just one better. So the latency will come down a little bit. Um, the bandwidth will come up uh, quite a bit. And the way that you know cellular signals work is by splitting things into multiple parallel channels. Uh, it doesn't actually do a whole lot to change the fact that you have to send data somewhere and then wait for it to come back. So we think that 5G would probably lower people's inhibitions around application size. If you can get a 300 Mbps connection, downloading a two or 300 megabyte app or model is no longer a big concern. Today, that is a concern. Uh, but for real-time computing situations, things where you want to where you want to process uh, live or privately or low cost, 
you're still going to want to do that on the edge device and not in the cloud because none of those things change even in a 5G world. Yeah, so fair to summarize it as there'll be more applications out there that use Fritz, but the fundamental problem that you're solving for, which is the latency of sending data back to some server somewhere to process it and then coming back, that latency is not changing in a meaningful way. That's right. I mean, when you look at mobile phones, these devices could have been thin clients. And we've seen this pattern before in computing. Uh, We could have taken all of the brains, put it in the cloud and had people, you know, just point a browser at it from their phone. We didn't do that, right? We have an incredible operating system and a ton of computing power in our pockets that is there for a reason. It's because it solves that problem. So what is your broader view, unrelated to Fritz, just where will the world of AI ML be in two to three years? So I like to think about it through sort of what is new. And if you look at this from a historical context, uh, machine learning actually working is a pretty big change. So, you know, historically, if you wanted to have um, institutional information about how something, you know, was done, how you actually performed a task, you'd have to move people around. You know, you could send a book with stepwise instructions, but like, that's not really a reliable way to create a new dermatologist. However, now with neural networks and the computing power and the data sets that we have to train these models, we can actually create virtual dermatologists and we can put them in anyone's pocket. And because this is software, we have all of the benefits of software distribution, which means we can make infinite copies. We can distribute them over the internet and put them anywhere. We can choose different kinds of devices and we can make high cost devices and low cost devices and different kinds of sensor kits can all connect. Uh, you know, previously, the only way that you got that skincare assessment was by sending a dermatologist over to the place where you wanted to have them do that assessment. Um, and we think that's a pretty fundamental change. So, you know, how big this goes or where this goes is really a question of what are we currently teaching people how to do? Uh, and how are we currently being inefficient about moving knowledge and, and sort of tasks around that will change? And we think that no market will be unturned here, that essentially all sorts of, of the knowledge economy will be reinvented through software. And because it'll run uh, anywhere, it'll run at low cost, privacy, um, all those factors that we'll really see a, an increase in the total you know, uh, GDP around those things because we'll be able to have infinite copies and we'll be able to make them more efficiently. So we're really excited about the future here. Um, we haven't always had this capability. You know, Neural networks as a, as a data structure have been around since the 1970s, but it hasn't been until the last five, 10 years that we've had all of the data and all of the compute to really solve this problem. So that's brand new. We haven't had that. Because it's unprecedented, it's hard to say exactly all of the um, follow-on effects, but we think they're going to be pretty profound. Do you have any thoughts on what do you think people will be surprised by? What will happen faster than they might expect or sneak up on people for the impacts here? I mean, obviously, they could come from anywhere. It probably will come from many places, but any thoughts on one day there's going to be a headline on CNN and folks won't have been prepared for it? Yeah, I think people are going to be surprised by the the specificity and the customization that's going to take place. So, you know, in a in a pre uh, AI world, if you wanted to get something customized, you'd almost always have to have a a person customize it themselves or have a software developer customize it to them. You know, if you wanted your computer to open a certain set of programs at uh, you know the, the hotkey level or something like that, you would need to figure out a way to, to customize that yourself. 
With neural networks uh, being software, we actually think that over time, they're going to just learn and behave as if they belong to one person and they solve one problem for that person. So it might be something as simple as, you know, your your living room understands that you are you and sets the lights the way that you want it and sets the television and, you know, brightness the way that you want it, puts on your favorite program or your music. These types of things that, uh, you know, sounded like kind of dreams or moonshots will actually become pretty possible because we can take neural networks and we can relearn them and we can retrain them based on just one person's data. Um, a, a simple early example of this is something like face ID on an iPhone. It's a generalized structure to look at a face, but the one that's on your iPhone is highly customized to just understand your face. So take that kind of uh, thought process and apply it to all of the other things in your life. Where will you have a piece of software that's customized to exactly how you behave and learns from your mistakes and no one else's. And we think that's going to be uh, really, really interesting. And that that one of one, that direct fit is a new paradigm that we don't really see in software because generally it's solving for everybody's problem. And maybe you cut a few edge cases um, because you don't think there's enough people to fall into them. Similar question, but for augmented reality, where do you think that will be in the next handful of years? Yeah, augmented reality is an interesting one because uh, the current set of user experiences are fairly underwhelming. You know, the if you go to the really high-end uh, VR systems, those can get pretty fun and they can be interesting when you have motion tracking and stuff like that. But most of the AR experiences is still pretty limited. Uh, we think there's a pretty clear roadmap here that seems to be dominated by Apple where they're already seeding uh, their developer ecosystem with the things that they want in an AR platform. So the most recent iPad Pro just came out with a uh, LiDAR sensor on it. You know, that is to map the room so you can place augmented reality objects. Apple has a lot of support for running neural networks. You can do things like uh, find a certain type of object or figure out occlusion or depth. All of those types of uh, things are eventually going to end up in an AR platform. Now, if that's a set of glasses or some sort of, you know, uh, tablet um, that, that's, that's more specifically geared to AR, I don't know. Uh, we can't say exactly what the roadmap looks like. But I think that Apple is probably the, the odds-on favor right now for us to think about where is AR going to start first and then, you know, what other kinds of platforms will pop up after it. But exactly what the user experiences are, what's the killer app in AR, what keeps it um, or what, what allows it to cross over into the mainstream, you know, what would be some uh, application that a normal set of people would buy the glasses for? I don't know. You know, that's a really good question and, and it requires a, probably a really deep dive into what can AR do realistically in the next few years. Taking a step back for you personally, and I guess for your company and for Jameson, your co-founder as well, what does success look like? And is it, gosh, Google needs our technology and they buy us for several hundred million dollars? Is it number of applications that are using Fritz? Is it the number of people who are engaging with those applications? What are you driving toward? Well, we are at our core a developer tools company. So, you know, we want to measure our success by the happiness of our developers and by the the experiences they can build. So, you know, success means getting uh, a lot of developers to build a really uh, a lot of really great experiences on top of our software. And, and ideally, you know, the only way that they got it across the finish line was because of our software. But the the, the larger market opportunity here is, you know, we really think that over the long run, you'll end up with. Um, ML players or an NML player that's largely cloud-based, uh, and then you'll end up with one that's largely outside the cloud. We think our market opportunity is to be the de facto place for building ML solutions that run outside the cloud. And that could be everything from you know phones to cars to drones to laptops to televisions. We're, we're agnostic to the type of device outside the cloud, but 
fundamentally, you're solving a different problem. You're dealing with different kinds of constraints. You're dealing with different kinds of privacy. You're dealing, dealing with different kinds of internet connectivity. So we can invest really deeply in solving those problems. And that means whatever developer is building uh, whatever experience on any device, they'll be able to use our platform to build it and to be successful with it. So you know, I would hope that we can be a, a big independent company based on developers like um, you know, a Twilio or a New Relic are, are today. Dan, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.